gotcha. Yeah. So I'm just going through that again. And okay. It almost worked just saying for me to stay on an E because an E is in a... If I, I'm just doing one note, so I'm like... I'm going to go, um, I know, uh, so, oh gosh, yeah, um, the, the printer wasn't working at church, Ian and I have a crappy printer at home, good grief, I just, yeah, yep, so this is pretty special, and it took me about an hour, so that, I'm going to stay out here and let that, so I'll like, Okay. That's pretty though. I like it on the um yeah, I'm, uh, wait, chorus 2. Wait. No wait. Chorus 3. I take the bread of life broken for all my sin. Your body crucified to make me whole again. To make me whole again. I'm just going to stick on like a high, just a real high one note uh, keyboard thing. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty. Cammy, I like it.
Good morning, everyone. It's so good to be in church with all of you who are here, and we're so glad for everyone who is watching online, um, live or otherwise. Um, we just want to welcome you and um, say how glad we are that you can join us at Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church. Um, and we want to invite you to stand and sing with us.
Am I on now? There we go. Good morning, everyone. A couple of things to remind you of this morning. I hope on the way in that each of you brought, took one of our little self-contained communion packages. And uh, if you didn't, uh, you're welcome to, to uh, uh, go back and do one as our singing begins again. But uh, this is a way that we can share communion together without having to pass the plate and and uh, making sure that everyone feels comfortable being safe. So please make sure you pick one of these up. Uh, we'll be doing communion after the sermon is over. And then also as you do that, uh, if you didn't pick up a towel, our fellowship of the towel from our theme from last week of serving one another from John 13, uh, be sure to do that and take an extra one and give it to someone who is close to you uh, in the body of Christ as well. I'd like to uh, enter into our time of prayer together this morning, uh, referring to uh, the book of Colossians, uh, beginning with verse 11. And I think this is a very pertinent message for us as we are uh, navigating these uh, very, very difficult times in which we are living. The Apostle Paul is talking about us in the church. And this is what he says in chapter 3, verse 11. Here, that is, among the body of believers, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. That's what it is to be in the church, to be in the fellowship of believers, that we are all one in Christ. And he says then, therefore... As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, this is how we are to act. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together. In perfect unity. I think that's a message that we need to be reminded of today. Let's pray through these verses together. Lord God, when you purposed to draw the world to yourself, you planted churches. And we read the church planting ministry of the Apostle Paul and of the churches that he began. We know from church history that these churches planted other churches, that the gospel was spread throughout the world through local churches. And in the local church, we understand that we are one. We're all different. We're all unique. Sometimes local churches are comprised of people from different nations, different ethnic backgrounds. But in Christ, we are all one. And Father, I pray not only for our own church here in Three Lakes, Wisconsin, but in churches all around the world, in Minneapolis, in Atlanta, in Texas, in Madison, 
in New York City, in Los Angeles. I pray, Lord, for local churches, that they are places where it is true that we are one. I pray, Lord, that we in the local church would be people of humility and compassion and kindness and gentleness and patience. Pray that we would be a forgiving people. That we would bear with each other in our weaknesses. In times when we do foolish things and say foolish things, probably not intending to, but sometimes we do anyway. And I pray, Lord, that we would be servants as Jesus modeled when he washed his disciples' feet. And Lord, may that be what the world sees around us. Seeing how we love one another and thereby knowing that those people follow Jesus. Lord, he is the message of reconciliation with you. And he is also the message of reconciliation one with another. Oh, how we need that message today. So, Lord, we pray for our nation. We pray for our world. That you would draw men and women to yourself. And that we would then be a people of reconciliation, love, oneness in Christ. Lord, we have been rocked in the last few weeks with news of loss, especially our dear partners in ministry in Haiti with the loss of Pastor Enoch. Please, God, surround um, Vision of Hope Ministries, their leadership. Pray for Enoch's family, that they would be encouraged and strengthened. Lord, we... Think of missionaries in other places of the world. Pray for their ministries. And Lord, we pray for our own mission outreach. Thank you for those who are working in food pantries, caring for children in daycare centers, who are reaching out in their neighborhoods. Lord, uh, reaching to their neighbors and friends. God, help us to be a people that gives and loves and serves well. And so, Lord, we're grateful for the opportunity to be your people and to be involved in a ministry that has the gospel as its primary focus. Lord, we're excited as we anticipate the arrival of Pastor Tim. He will be among us this week to begin to learn about our church, to share with our board, and then to be welcomed officially during our church service next week. And then as he travels back to the Twin Cities and moves his family the following week, I pray that you would give him, Vanessa and the girls, your great grace and that our church would uh, welcome them well and, and that there would be a long and lasting partnership ministry of the gospel under his leadership. And so, Lord, to that end, we, we commit our church, we commit ourselves, 
And uh, Lord, we look forward to what you're going to do among us in the ministry that we share together. Lord, we thank you for those who have been so faithful in giving. We thank you for the privilege and the joy of worship through giving. And Lord, as we think about um, the financial support of our church, um, Lord, it's, it's just such a joy to be a part of a, of a congregation like this. And so we give as unto you, thanking you for the privilege of being part of our church. So Lord, we're um, thankful now for the rest of our service together today. I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would inhabit the praises and worship of your people and that the words and the message of these songs would resonate with our souls and our spirit, lifting up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. For his sake and for his glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Feel free to stand with us as we continue on in worshiping through singing.
we thank you that you you are alive, that you died, but you rose again, that you were resurrected, that your name is more powerful than than our enemy, Lord. Um, we just thank you for the victory that we have in you. We're so grateful for that, Lord, and we're so grateful for your grace and your love for us. We ask your blessing throughout our day, and we ask that you would bless Pastor Scott as he comes to speak your word, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Really a good text to the songs we sang today, weren't they? It's a blessing. Thank you so much. Well, if you'd allow me, I'd just like to pray for myself <laughs> as I open God's Word. Thank you, Lord, now for the privilege I have to um, speak the Word of God. Holy Spirit, please be our teacher. Guide and direct us. Protect us from anything that's not from you. But Lord, what is from you uh, use it, plant it in our hearts, and may it bear fruit for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are back in our series in the book of Colossians. We have been uh, working our way through Colossians, taking time out for uh, specific uh, occasions like Mother's Day or uh, Volunteer Appreciation Sunday and uh, we uh, have three more messages in the book of Colossians, but I only have opportunity to do one of them because uh, next Sunday is Father's Day, and uh, it's also the opportunity we have to give a welcome to our new pastor, Tim Beyer. And so today is going to be the final message from the book of Colossians. And as I was thinking about which of the three passages to discuss um, I was uh, drawn to chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, because I think it kind of summarizes the message of the book of Colossians, which is how to be a Christian, how to navigate life as a Christian in a world of religious pluralism. And... Uh, so the passage we're talking about today is how to do Christian outreach, how to reach out to a culture of religious pluralism. We might say it's about evangelism. Uh, I prefer another word. I prefer the word engaging people in our culture with the gospel. To engage means that we get involved to take some initiative, that we have a Christian presence, meeting people's needs, serving others. To engage means that we build bridges. We enter into meaningful conversations and dialogue. Engaging doesn't mean winning an argument or coming out on top. Engaging simply means that when an opportunity arises, we enter into that opportunity rather than pull away from that opportunity to share the good news of the risen Christ who is alive. So from a Christian perspective, it means articulating, promoting the gospel of Jesus in the context of love 
and respect, as Paul said earlier in his letter, as well as in a spirit of humility and gentleness. That's what it means to have Christian outreach. And so this passage from Colossians gives us some guidelines on how we as followers of Jesus engage the culture, engage people in our culture with the ministry of the gospel and how we might be effective in Christian outreach. So let's read Colossians chapter 4, beginning with verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. The principal imperative in this paragraph is verse 2. Be devoted to prayer. Be devoted to pray. Paul wants his readers to engage the culture, but he wants his readers to do it in the context of prayer. Paul asked for prayer that he himself might be effective, verses 3 and 4. And then Paul instructs his readers that they might be effective in their own efforts, verses 5 and 6. So I summarize this paragraph with this statement, a critical element in effectively engaging people in our culture with the gospel is prayer. It's a prey. Throughout this letter, Paul has been building a case to help the Colossians navigate this culture in which he lives. It's much like our own culture. A culture that is not necessarily really Christian friendly. Generally speaking, it's a culture of religious pluralism where there's all kinds of religious ideas, and generally the culture says we must accept all of them as equally valid. This was the message that Paul was addressing to Colossae, and it's also a message that we find in 21st century America. All religious ideas are the same and equally valid. The expression of the uniqueness of Christianity is not valid. We need to add a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a smidge of something else. We need to add a rule here, a ritual there, and especially let go of this idea that Jesus Christ is somehow superior to other religious figures. Paul says, you know, we're dealing in a culture like that in Colossae. We've got to address our culture by saying, well, yes, Jesus is unique. Jesus is superior. No, we don't add rules and rituals. No, we don't accept all other religious systems as being equally valid. 
We must maintain our Christian integrity, the uniqueness of the gospel of which we've been singing today. How do you do that? We must pray. We must pray. According to Ephesians chapter 2, in our natural state, people are spiritually unresponsive to spiritual things. Paul says we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And so we can share the truth of the scripture with people ad ad nauseum and they're spiritually unresponsive because in our natural state, we're spiritually dead. And the Bible says that God moves upon a person and gives them the light of spiritual life and then when the gospel comes and that light illuminates the gospel, that's when the gospel powerfully works in a person's life and new life is brought. And the Bible tells us that we are saved by the word of God, the gospel, as the word, uh, as God uses the gospel to penetrate and, and enliven our hearts through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You see, that's, that's how the gospel is effective. But unless we pray for God to draw people to himself, our efforts in sharing the gospel will be of to no avail. And so, throughout the history of the church, you can read stories of major revivals that have happened. They've always been preceded by people who are devoted to prayer. In the United States, the great awakenings that we've had in the United States, whether it be the businessmen's revival in New York City or the tent meeting revivals that are out in the camps in the prairies of, of Kentucky and Tennessee, it's always been preceded by prayer. The Welsh revivals in England preceded by prayer. And when God's people got together and prayed, Oh God, open the hearts of people around me. Then when they shared the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ, there was not resistance, but the gospel tenderized their hearts and warmed them to the message of eternal life. Paul says, we must be devoted to prayer. And verse 2 kind of implies to us, that's hard. <laughs> that's work. That's difficult. Because sometimes we pray and pray and pray and it appears that nothing happens. But Paul says in verse 2, be watchful. Literally it means be awake, be alert. Now that doesn't miss, I don't think that means uh, to guard against being sleepy when we pray. You know, although sometimes we get sleepy when we pray, don't we? Um, we've got to guard against that. You know, it's kind of disrespectful if I'm having a conversation with you if I fall asleep in the middle of that conversation. It's disrespectful to God as well if we're praying and we fall asleep. We've, we've got to be alert that way. But I don't think that's what Paul is saying here. I think what Paul is saying here, well, I think he even told us what he means in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, where he says, 
Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert. And always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Devotion to prayer and our efforts to engage people in our culture is not describing the intensity of our prayers. It's describing the awareness of what's going on in the culture to which we are praying, for which we are praying. Be devoted to prayer means that we need to be aware of what's going on around us and ask God to help us in our efforts to be Christians who reach out with our gospel. And so Paul gives us two specific prayers in verses 2 to 4 to pray, alertly pray. To pray with Christian awareness, to pray with watchfulness. First, pray that God will open doors for us to proclaim the gospel. Verse 3, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Paul refers to an open door for his ministry. And he is praying for an opportunity to share the word of God for an open door to come his way. I am convinced that we are seeing an opportunity, an open door for the gospel, unlike we've seen in a long time. Do you know how people are anxious with this coronavirus? Maybe they're a little bit afraid, a little bit insecure. They're wondering about their health. They're wondering about their loved ones. Can I go to the grocery store? Can I do this? Some people aren't afraid of that, but there are many people who are. Where is the message of the rest of Christ more relevant than when facing those types of fears? We see the chaos in our major cities with racial uh, division and and anger and upset and all this unrest that's going on in the world, where is there a better open door for the message of reconciliation that comes in Christ than now? Brothers and sisters, I think the church has a wide open door. A wide open door. And if we can pray that God will give us eyes to see the open doors that we have, Pray for open doors. Maybe some of you have been praying for a loved one, maybe a child or a parent or a neighbor, for years. Lord, draw that person to yourself. Pray for an open door when, that, when God works in their heart and, and pray that God will give you an avenue to share the gospel. We need to be devoted in our prayers and not give up. To continue to pray knowing that unless God moves, there is no hope. But if God moves, there is tremendous opportunity, tremendous optimism for us to walk through an open door. And then verse 3 tells us what to say when that door opens. We share the mystery of Christ. Let's really think about that phrase, the mystery of Christ. What does that mean? 
Well, under the Old Covenant, during the days of the Old Testament, when people were under the Mosaic Covenant, there was lots of material that the Old Testament talked to us about this coming Messiah. He would be a servant, Isaiah tells us, uh, in the servant songs of Isaiah. There would be a new covenant that would come, uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel tells us. Uh, the prophets tell us that there would be one who would come and who would uh, be the king and he would reign in a new kingdom. And this, this Messiah was going to come, but nobody knew who he was and nobody knew when he would come. It was just kind of a mystery. But then Jesus came. Then Jesus appeared. Then Jesus grew up. Then Jesus lived. Then Jesus taught. Then Jesus died. Then Jesus rose from the dead. No more mystery. The mystery is now fulfilled. That's what we preach when the door opens for us. The mystery of Jesus is no longer a mystery. And Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 1 exactly what that means. Verses 27 and 28. Stay right in Colossians. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim. That's the mystery fulfilled. It's not just that the Messiah came, it's that the Messiah lives in you who trust him and who receive him. Christ in you. God living in us. Whoa! That is, that is the most incredible thing to think about. God is living in us. That was unheard of prior to the cross. Now that the cross has happened, Jesus lives in those who receive him, those who trust him. Mystery is over. And so when an open door comes, when we see an open door like we're seeing in our culture, and it's different in Three Lakes, Wisconsin than it is in Atlanta where there's chaos, in Minneapolis where there's chaos, but there, there's an open door as well. We have an open door in our community. Pray that God gives us eyes to see our open doors. And when our open door opens, share, Christ is no longer a mystery. He lives in us. I think that Paul is pleading for his readers to see that open door and then to walk through it. But if you're like me, you, you think, I just don't know. I mean, that's, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I'm just a quiet person. You know, I, 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 just, I just don't know what to say. Well, Paul knew exactly what you're thinking because listen to his own personal testimony in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Listen to what Paul says. He says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. 
For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, in trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. That's how Paul taught. Can you and I share the mystery of Christ that way? Saying, you know, I might, be, I might not say this just exactly right, but I want you to know something. Jesus Christ lives within me. Jesus Christ forgave my sins. Jesus Christ is coming again, and I have the assurance and the hope of eternal life. I might not say it right. I might fumble over my words, but just get my drift, you know. See, when an open door opens, God's word is the power. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God. That's the power. And if we just open our mouths, share, the mystery of Christ is no longer a mystery. He lives within us. That's an open door we can all walk through. But it takes prayer. We need to pray that we see that open door. And then when the open door comes, we need to pray that God gives us his grace to walk through it. And then in verses 5 and 6, Paul says, okay, here's how you do that. Here's how you do that. Pray that we will be wise. Pray that we will be wise as we proclaim Jesus. This is something that... that I long for with those who have a, a platform to share the gospel. Oh, that there would be Christian wisdom in the way that they share the gospel. Paul tells us in verses 5 and 6, be wise in the way you share the gospel. And he hearkens back to chapter 1 where he says this, verses 9 and 10, We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. That comes from wisdom. That's chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. And so then Paul hearkens back to that idea and in chapter 4 or chapter 5, he puts it this way. Be wise in the way you interact with outsiders. When we share Jesus with those outside the family of God, we're to be wise in our speech, in our behavior. We need to find a way to, to share with people that are different from us, to laugh with them, to cry with them, to serve them, to love them, Whatever group or opportunity we have, whenever God opens a door, oh Lord, give me wisdom on how to walk through this door. Give me wisdom on how to share the riches of the mystery of Christ fulfilled. Paul gives us three clues of what it means to be wise as we walk through our open door. First, wisdom and outreach includes being focused. Be focused. 
Paul says, make the most of every opportunity. Be focused. Brothers and sisters, in our culture today, it's easy for us to get all excited and ramped up and full of emotion on everything other than the gospel. <laughs> Isn't it? I mean, we've got, you know, and we've got our causes, we've got our things that we're passionate about, and it's okay to have a cause and to be passionate, but don't forget our mission. Our mission is make disciples. Our mission is to be agents of reconciliation. Our mission is to glorify God. That's our mission. Don't go off focus. Stay in our lane. In the midst of all the things that we're facing in our lives, stay, stay focused on what it is that God wants us to do. As a local church, my prayer for you and for Pastor Tim as you join together in ministry as if you'll be laser-focused on the mission. Connect people to God through Jesus Christ. To grow continually, to become like Jesus Christ. And to serve one another. Stay focused in that mission. And pray for God to give you wisdom on how to stay focused when you'll be tempted to go all other different kinds of ways, stay focused. Make the most of every opportunity. Second, wisdom and outreach includes being gracious. <laughs> Do we need to hear that message today? Have you heard any messages recently in our culture that are not gracious? Wow. Paul says... Verse 5, let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt. Salt is a preservative, but it also brings flavor. And I'll tell you what, folks, nothing will turn off a person's receptiveness to the gospel faster than divisive, critical speech from a Christian had the opportunity to coach a church planter in the Evangelical Free Church for the last year. Young man, his wife, felt called to enter into one of our metropolitan areas and plant a church. And two weeks ago, he totally washed out. And you know why? Because he posted divisive, critical, angry posts on the Internet. And it ruined his ministry. He's no longer with the free church. He's gone. Because his speech was not seasoned with salt. He was not gracious. It will ruin us. We've got to pray, Lord, I want to get out there and I want to speak my mind and I want to tell that person off. It takes prayer to have that self-control. Our conversation must always be full of grace. First, and then third, wisdom and outreach includes being discerning. Verse six, that you may know how to answer everyone. You know, no one's the same. No circumstance is the same. 
we, we walk through our open doors differently in Three Lakes than we would if we were in Madison. We need to have discernment. We need to think through. We need to, we need to be in prayer thinking, God, how would you have me walk through? We might be trying to engage someone who appears to be just like a rock that the gospel will never penetrate him. Do we just give up? No, we pray. Lord, give us an open door with this person and then give me wisdom and discernment on how to nurture and develop a relationship with this person. Be devoted to prayer. Without God going before us, it's like we're sharing the gospel with someone who's in a grave. But when God goes before us and he stirs life in that heart and then we share Christ with them, there will be an opportunity for there to be fruit for the glory of God. So as a Christian in a culture of religious pluralism and we are prayer prayer warriors and God gives us an opportunity and we have the opportunity to share Christ, would you know exactly what to do? So I want to leave you today with a model. A model of how to share the gospel. It's taken from Romans 6.23. And I always start with putting the Bible verse first because the Bible is living and alive. And so Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's all you need to write. You can write that on a napkin. You can write it on a whiteboard. Um, I teach children, uh, kids in my pastor's instruction class um, how to do this. You, you write Romans 6.23, and that's the power of God. And then you explain Romans 6.23 like this. There are two sides to life. On one side, there's the wages of sin is death. Now you think, what is a wage? Well, a wage is what one earns. So when a person sins, when a person either fails to measure up or when a person crosses a line, they sin and there's a consequence to that sin. There's a wage to that sin. The Bible says it's spiritual death. And so when we inherit the sin of Adam, we are spiritually dead. But then on the other side, there's the good news that instead of a wage, God gives us a gift. And that gift comes not from sin, but it comes from God. And it's not death, but it's eternal life. So as you talk through this verse with someone that you have the opportunity to share Christ with, make the comparison between the bad news and the good news. And so if you've got that person who is trying to get from the bad news into the good news, and they try to walk across, they'll just fall over the cliff, fall into the chasm, unless there's a bridge. And verse 23 gives us that bridge. And that bridge is Jesus Christ. That bridge is Christ Jesus the Lord. And here's where we share the message of the cross. 
who shared that Jesus' body was a sacrifice for our sin, that his blood opened up the new covenant of grace, and, and, and Jesus paid the penalty for our sin, and when he died on the cross, it was finished. Nothing more needs to be done. And then you draw that cross, and then you say, but there's one more word on there that's important, and that is that he wants to be the Lord of your life. We don't play games with God. We don't just say, oh, well, he just loves you, and uh, he'll accept you, and don't worry about it, he's got you covered. No, God says, when you come to me, you have to die. You have to pick up your cross. You have to follow me. That's the gospel. And so when a person comes to us and we have that opportunity to draw this little illustration, we've got the power of the word of God. We've got the illustration. And then we give the invitation. And there's two words for the invitation. The first word is repent. Repentance is how a person comes to faith in Christ. Acts chapter 3 says, Peter is given a message. He says, repent then and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Do you think that's a message that's attractive? That times of refreshing might come to the Lord, from the Lord? That our sins might be washed from us? That comes when we stop, present ourselves to God, and turn to him in faith when we repent. And then we receive the gift of God, which is eternal life. John tells us, to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Anybody can draw this picture. If we think about it, memorize it, and ask God to give us open doors, opportunities to share this message with someone. He can take a half an hour or he can take two minutes to share what it means to be a Christian. My encouragement for us is that we devote ourselves to prayer and Christian outreach. Because as one theologian said, first, we talk with God about men. Then we talk to men about God. That's Christian outreach. God empowers Christian outreach. My question to you today is, are you devoted to prayer for outreach? I hope you are. If not, I hope you'll leave here today and consider, how can I ramp up my devotion to prayer for Christian outreach? One or two, maybe three steps. And really be devoted to this idea of being used of God to help others come to faith in Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would use these words, use the message of the gospel, for your honor and for your glory. And Lord, probably the people who are listening today are thinking of someone that they've been praying for. Maybe they're thinking about a city that they're praying for. Maybe they're thinking about our nation that they're praying for. Lord, give us open doors to share the message of Christ. 
and then give us wisdom as we do so. And may we preach Christ and crucified, dead, buried, resurrected, that we may enter from death to life, from the bad news to the good news, that you would enable us to repent and then to receive the good news, salvation in Jesus Christ. That's my prayer today. That's my prayer today. Start with me. Lord, use your word for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, brothers and sisters, I think this is something that we are specifically taught in the communion observance. It's an opportunity for us to not only receive a fresh breath of the grace of God. But it's also an opportunity for us to recommit to the message of God. I think that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. Let me read the words of institution that he writes. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, here it is, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So not only is there a benefit for us to receive, It's a recommitment for us to the gospel message. So whenever whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. So let's reflect on our own lives. As we share these elements, are we truly recommitting our lives to the gospel? Are we truly entering in to that joyous remembrance of the cross of Jesus Christ. As we take our communion packet, we have two sections of it. The first one, there's a wafer, and then under the wafer, there's the cup. Allow me to pray, and then I'll lead us as we share in these elements together. Lord, I pray that this this little celebration will be more than more than just walking through a couple of a couple of steps. Impress upon us what it costs you to provide salvation. Impress upon us the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross his body crucified, his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. The Lord meet us in a special way as we share these elements together. So let's open up, take the wafer,
should have practiced this a little bit more myself. Okay, this is embarrassing. I'm sorry, I don't want to make light of, of the Lord's Pardon me? There we go. So as we have the wafer, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he distributed it to those around him and he said, be reminded of my body which was broken for you. Do this in remembrance. Jesus, we are so grateful. You endured so much for us. That shows the depth of our sin and the magnitude of your love. Thank you for thank you for the body, the incarnation of the Son of God, who became man so he could be a substitute for man. Who remained God so that he could be the substitute for all men. And then Jesus took the cup and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this juice is a reminder of my blood shed for you. Lord, your word teaches us that life is in the blood. And when blood was shed, a life was given. Jesus' life was given so that we could have life. He knew no sin, yet he became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in. And so with great joy and commitment that we identify ourselves with Jesus and thereby declare our commitment to the gospel, Jesus Christ. What a joy it is for us to worship you and to experience and proclaim this message as part of our lives. So, Lord, we thank you for this time of remembrance. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we'd like to have this be the conclusion of our service, that we would would leave today with these thoughts in mind. Let's stand together, please, for closing prayer. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide upon us today, tomorrow, throughout all of our generation, and yes, forever and ever. God's people said. God bless you, dismissed. Have a great day is our prayer. On your way out, we do have an opportunity for you to make a contribution to our benevolence fund.
And so if you would consider that, we would be grateful. Thank you so much. God bless. You're dismissed. Thank you.